All right, take your Bibles and turn to Acts chapter 20 if you're not already there. We're going to look at verses 17 through 24. The title of my message tonight is Not Moved, based off of verse number 24. Let's begin reading in verse number 17. From Miletus he sent to Ephesus and called the elders of the church. This is speaking of Paul. Uh, Paul is leaving a place, going to another. He, he's sending for the elders to actually come to him. When they were come to him, he said unto them, You know from the first day that I came into Asia, after what manner I have been with you at all seasons, serving the Lord with all humility of mind, with many tears and temptations which befell me by the lying and weight of the Jews. How I kept back nothing that was profitable unto you, but I have showed you and have taught you uh, publicly and from house to house, testifying both to the Jew and also to the Greeks, repentance towards God and faith towards our Lord Jesus Christ. And now behold, I go bound in the Spirit unto Jerusalem, not knowing the things that which, uh, which shall befall me there, save the Holy Ghost witnesseth in every city, saying that, the bond, saying that bonds and afflictions abide me. But none of these things move me. Paul speaking in this passage. We've seen a little bit of the context here knows that he might die in Jerusalem. He knows that this next transition in his life, and eventually, by the way, he does. Eventually, by the way, Paul dies a horrible death because of his faith through Jesus Christ. It's not mentioned in the Scripture, but historically it's proven. We see that Paul goes bound in the Spirit, but he gives us one last message about his life. And I think it speaks to us much more than even entire lives of people that they've lived. Verse number 24, But none of these things move me, Neither count I my life dear unto myself, so that I might finish my course with joy and the ministry which I have received of the Lord Jesus to testify the gospel of the grace of God. We as Christians should see ourselves through the filter of God's purpose for our life. We've talked a lot about purpose recently. Uh, we've talked a lot about hope recently and the, the meaning that is found in our life. But know this, teenager, if you do not live through the filter, through the eyes that your life is to be lived for the purposes of God, you are missing the meaning of life itself. If we fail to see ourselves for who we are truly supposed to be, we will never have the impact we're supposed to have on our life or the lives of others. A lot of you place filters on things, right? A lot of you, and you've even gone past filters now to like placing bunny ears on your head and placing uh, dog ears on your head on Snapchat. I've seen these things, right? Not Snapchat, but I've seen these things on Instagram. And by the way, if you're a guy that does that, stop, right? <laughs> Just if you're a guy that puts any filter on your photo to make you look cooler, stop, right? Just just stop, or Lord forbid, if you put doggy ears or a rainbow over your head, just stop. Stop it. Stop it, right? Just stop it, right? The, the, the video we've watched, just stop that. It's not cool. But do you want to know the funniest thing, the filter that I see on people? The, the funniest thing is when, like, a really elderly person gets a hold of social media, right? <laughs> like a really elderly person, and there's, there must be this filter, that removes all wrinkles, 
right? There must be this filter where it just like flattens your face, gives you these really pretty eyes. I've seen a lot of people try that, right? And it makes them look like someone they are not. They, they, uh, and the, the testament to this is that we sometimes send our life through a filter so people can see it differently, right? There is uh, so much going on in your life that makes you want to look good in front of other people, doesn't it? There's so much going on, there's so much noise in life where you probably don't spend four or five minutes away from being infatuated with someone else's life. What do I mean? Well, you go to school. Maybe even before you get to school, you open up your phone first thing, and what do you do? You check social media. Any kind of form of social media, right? And by the way, adults do this too. So I'm preaching just as much to the adults as I am anyone else. You check social media. What are you doing there? You're looking at the lives of others and you're comparing your life with others. You say, that's not what I do with social media, but you do, right? Every single one of us, when we see the, the, the accolades or what someone else is showing off about, we get a little envious, we get a little jealous, we wonder and we judge people on social media, right? So that's the first thing we do. Okay, we get on the bus or we get in our car and we go to school and we one-up everyone in their life, right? We are surrounded by people the whole day that we are comparing ourselves to, that we are getting information from. We are just surrounded by life. Uh, Cordell told me that he's only had like four free minutes today. Your guys' lives are super busy, and you're always around people, and you very rarely get a moment alone to be with God. How does this apply to my message? What you don't know, what I've not read, is that Paul, before writing this verse, he's with the disciples. Uh, Paul is with the disciples towards the end here in Acts chapter number 20, and he's walking with the disciples, and the disciples are going to get on a boat. And they're going to travel, not 12 miles by boat, but they're going to travel a full day on boat to avoid walking 12 miles. And Paul says, guys, you get on that boat, you go to where you're going, go from Troas to this other location, and I am going to walk alone. And Paul does. We see this often in the life of Paul where he decides to take a journey alone. May I submit to you that it was, on, it was by design that Paul separated himself from others. It was by design that Paul got a moment alone to speak with God, to get all of the noise out of his life, to get clarity on God's purpose for his life. May I submit to you, I think that's why God used Paul in such a great way. Paul, at every point in the Scripture, knows exactly what his purpose for his life is. Paul, at every point in the Scripture, knows exactly what he should be doing, what his next step is. And may I submit to you that it's because Paul got alone with God. Let me ask you this, teenager. When's the last time you got alone? When's the last time you got alone with God? I remember in college, uh, through hard times, through bad grades, through just situations and, and being so far away from home, and just being sad sometimes. Uh, you get like that in college. You, even though you're surrounded by people all the time, if you live in a dormitory, you get kind of depressive because you're surrounded by people, but you feel alone sometimes. So I would go up to a mountain. Literally, there was this place in Lancaster. It was actually, I think, in Palmdale, the next city close to Lancaster. And I would weave up this mountain in my car, and there was something called the aqueduct. And the aqueduct was a man-made river that was placed above, uh, like around the mountains. So I would drive all the way up this hill on, I think, 126th Street. Our school was like on 40th, uh, 40th East, and this was 126th West. So I would drive miles and miles and miles to go to this place that was so far away, and I would go, get out of my car, walk down the aqueduct, walk up another mountain, take a chair with me, and sit up there alone for hours. Do you want to know why? I was trying to get clarity on my life. 
And at certain points in your life, teenager, you've got to turn off your cell phone. At certain points in your life, you need to get away from people and you need to do what Paul did and walk 12 miles by yourself. Because there's sometimes where God will speak to you in a still small voice, but you've got so much noise in your life that you can't hear it. So Paul, uh, we see here the context of it is that he's walking with God. He has spent 12 miles walking by himself. By the way, that's a full day's journey. Uh, that's 10 hours journey probably. I mean, it's probably more than that. I mean, it's, it's a full entire day of walking. We tend not to live as much in our life in the realm of reality, right? We view our life, and teenagers, look right up here. We sometimes get this idea of life where we've lived months in a row and then we reflect on our life and we look at ourselves in the mirror and, and we basically say, who am I and what am I even doing? You ever had that moment? Who am I and what am I even doing? Life is moving so quick. I don't even know what's going on. I, I'm just hanging on. And a lot of you are just hanging on. And may I challenge you before we even get to the content of the message to get alone at points in your life. And maybe you need to choose a day a week where you clear two hours. You clear two hours and say, Mom and Dad, I'd like to take a walk around the lake at the park. Mom, I, I, Mom and Dad, I, I'd like to have this hour in my room completely alone without any kind of technology. Whatever it is for you, you need to get alone to have clarity on your purpose. And by the way, that's where you get clarity. You don't get clarity by scrolling through Instagram or, so, or any kind of social media. You don't. You get noise. Guys, get some clarity in your life by getting alone with God. Uh, he gets alone with God and focuses on what he should be doing, why he's doing it, and who will be impacted by what he is doing. Sometimes we don't know what we're doing. We have no idea what we're supposed to be doing, and we never consider our impact on others. Why? Because we never get alone with God. We need to look into what God wants to us for us more deeply, more than what others have for us. Maybe it's time for a walk. Maybe it's time to get some clarity in your life. So let's notice this evening three ways that Paul saw himself after moments of clarity. Three ways that Paul saw himself after moments of clarity and his walk with God. First of all, he saw himself as an accountant. He saw himself as an accountant. Now, I'm not talking about monetarily. Right? Paul wasn't counting change while he was walking. Right? Paul wasn't filling out deposit slips while he was walking or writing checks. No, no, no. He was thinking about his life. Look in verse number 24. This is the only verse we're really going to talk about tonight. But none of these things move me, neither count I my life dear unto myself. Paul, coming off of this, um, this time with the Lord, he says to these people, and maybe some of the last words that he thinks he will ever speak, he says, hey, None of these things, the fact that the Jews want to kill me, the fact that they're lying in wait for me, the fact that Felix wants me to come before him, the fact that I'm going to be a slave, the fact that I'm going to eventually going to be put to death, the fact that everywhere I go is opposition, but is also the Lord working, all of these things, none of these things move me. What is he saying? None of these things are negatively impacting me to the point where it messes me up. None of these things move me. Look in the next phrase. Neither count I my life dear unto myself. Paul here is an accountant. He examines the things he owns, the time he has and the liabilities that he carries, and he decides to put Christ first in his life. 1 Corinthians 6.20 says, For you are bought with a price, therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. By the way, Paul wrote that. Paul also wrote in Philippians 3, 7 through 8, But what things were gained to me, those I counted loss for Christ. 
Yea, doubtless, and I count all things but loss for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and do count them but dung that I may win Christ. Paul had one focus as he counted his life. As in he took an account, he stepped back after that walk, and he said, you know what? Here's what I have to say about my life. My life does not matter. He's saying, I count not my life to be important. He says, when I'm accounting things of importance, Jesus Christ is number one, and Paul is at the end of the list. But many of you might have it flip-flop today, where you are at the beginning of the list, accounting yourself to be something when God is actually everything. And you have the, the, the look of godliness, or, or you have the, 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 the uh, what does the verse say, the, uh, but denying the power thereof. You have the form of godliness, that's what the scripture says. You have the form of godliness, but denying the power thereof. Paul knew, uh, after taking account of his life, that his life was not really his to begin with. God is the giver of life, Paul knew that. God is the sustainer of life. Paul knew that. And as an accountant, Paul says, look, here's what you have to know about my life, even though I might be able to, might just about die. And by the way, Paul was speaking with heavy words because the people really esteemed Paul as important. Like, Paul was extremely important. Paul wrote the majority of this New Testament, guys, that you hold in your lap. The majority of the gospel was written directly by Paul. We have to see here that that his words are important. He says, guys, even me, guys, even me, I count not my life as important. Nextly, he viewed himself not as an accountant, just as an accountant, but he viewed himself as a runner, that I may finish my course with joy. Paul said, not only do I have a disregarding of myself, but I know this, that while I am here, I'm going to do something for Jesus Christ. And I think if every single teenager in this room had that mindset that, you know what, I'm not much, but I am something. I like what a a theologian once said. He said, I am only one, but I am one. Guys, get your mind wrapped around the fact that God actually wants to use you. If God can take a man named Saul that persecuted the Jews, that persecuted Christians and had them put to death, and he could blind him, down a road and lead him to Christ and make that man the author of the majority of our New Testament, God can use you for big things too. If God can take 12 fishermen and lawyers and doctors and all these people uh, that were not highly esteemed in their society and turn the book of Acts says, turn the world upside down because they believed in the resurrection of Jesus Christ, God can use you. Not only did Paul account his life, but he accounted himself as a runner that I may finish my course. Look, uh, when you're in a race, what's the most important part? Is it the start? Right? Is it the start if you don't finish? No, it's the finish. Right? I mean, of course, you have to do well if you want to win like the other portions of the race. But if you stop just short of the finish line, you failed. If you don't even finish, I mean, you're disqualified. You you don't even get through the race. And Paul says, I I realize here at the end of my life that my life is coming to a close. But Paul says, guys, this is no time for me to quit my role as 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 an apostle. This is no time for me to quit preaching Jesus Christ. This is the moment where I have complete self-abandon and go even harder after Christ and preach Christ even more. Teenager, you have so much more life left in you prayerfully than Paul did at this moment. And my heart is overjoyed with the fact that many of you are going to go out of this place 
and you're going to tell other people about Jesus Christ. But I think the reason that we don't, Paul, by the way, had seen the risen Christ, the reason that we don't actually follow through on these things is because we have about this much faith. Because we've not seen the risen Christ. Why did the disciples turn the world upside down? Because they had seen the risen Christ. They knew it was real. And teenager, you're so busy in the noise of other things. By the way, the more of the Bible you read and the more you pray, the more real it becomes to you. The more closely and intimately you walk with Jesus Christ and the more that He can use you. Make this real in your life. View yourself as a runner. Ask yourself, what is my purpose, God? And what race should I be running? Whatever God has you to do, give it your all like Paul did. Ecclesiastes 9.10, Solomon said, Whatsoever thy hand findeth to do, do it with thy might. For there is no work, nor device, nor knowledge, nor wisdom in the grave, whether thou goest. Paul is saying, and Solomon is saying, while you have breath in you, live for God. Live for God while you have a chance. Run the race and stop running these stupid races after social media and after people's acclaim for you. Stop searching for people's acceptance of you and realize your acceptance in God and influence this world for Christ. Do something for God. Don't just worry about how others are viewing you. Impact them with the gospel, guys. Don't worry so much about what... Have complete self-abandon and view yourself and say, I am going to do my all. C.T. Studd said a poem, and a great poem, which I hope a lot of you will take home with you tonight. And I hope a lot of you will put it in your room and that you will live like C.T. Studd did. C.T. Studd was an almost professional cricketer, cricketer uh, when he was 16 years old. Uh, could have easily gone pro, could have easily made all the money that he ever desired. And where he lived... Cricket was like our football, and he was the mo I mean, he was a great cricket player, and he had a great career ahead of him. And by the way, I'm sure he had coaches that wanted him at practice. By the way, I'm sure he had people that wanted to keep him away from church, but guess what? At 16 years of age, he got saved. And then uh, four short years later, he became a missionary, and he greatly influenced the world for Christ, and he wrote this poem. Two little lines, it's, it's only one life. Two little lines I heard one day traveling along life's busy way bringing conviction to my heart and from my mind would not depart. Only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. Only one life. Yes, only one. Soon, while its fleeting hours be done, then in that day my Lord to meet and stand before His judgment seat. Only one life will, will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. Only one life. The still small voice gently pleads for a better choice, bidding me selfish, uh, bidding me selfish aims to leave, and my God holy will to cleave. And one, only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will life will, will last. Only one life, a few brief years. Man, that's so true. Each with its burdens, hopes, and fears. Each, each with its clays, I must fulfill. Living for self or for His will. Only one life will, will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. When the bright world would tempt me sore, when Satan would victory score, when self would seek to have its way, then help me, Lord, with joy to say, only one life will soon be passed, and only what's done for Christ will last. Teenager, this life that you're living right now that's not after God, you need to wake up. You need to wake up and realize that the only thing that matters in this life, if you truly are a Christian, 
If you truly believe in God, you need to come to the realization that the only thing that matters is knowing God more and showing that God to others. Only what's done. Only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. By the way, as a side note on C.T. Studd, C.T. Studd, after he got saved, did backslide and then came back to the Lord and wrote this poem. But may I say this, after he came back to the Lord and fully uh, surrendered himself to the Lord, he didn't turn back. C.T. Studd no longer turned back to his cricket career. C.T. Studd, by the way, mentions this in some of his writings, but didn't skip church to make practice, um, which I think is a difference that it might make in your life if you truly get sold out to the Lord. C.T. Studd did everything, and by the way, just saying, this is just for free, okay? If you put sports in front of God, shame on you. And not just shame on you, and by the way, if your parents put sports before God, you don't have the right view of God. For if God is real, and if God is risen from the grave, and God wants you somewhere, but you choose the trifles of life instead, shame on us. By the way, I was a teenager. I skipped church. I did things I shouldn't do in high school. But know this, that there's nothing more important than you being exactly where God wants you to. And I think after hearing the still small voice, you wouldn't choose anything other than Jesus Christ to lead your life. Not only did he find himself uh, after that long thing as a runner, but he found himself as a steward lastly. In the ministry which I have received to testify of the gospel of the grace of God. By the way, this is the theme verse that's on the back of your t-shirts. This is our theme verse for the year, guys. He says, I'll read the whole verse again. But none of these things move me, neither count I my life dear unto myself, that I might finish my course with joy and the ministry which I have received of the Lord Jesus to testify the gospel of the grace of God. D.L. Moody said, The world has yet to see what God can do with a man fully consecrated to Him. By God's help, I aim to be that man. A lot of you in your Christian life are short changing God. You're giving God the leftovers. Some of you, it's even worse. You're giving God even what's after the leftovers. Stop it. Go after God. And by the way, it's not exchanging a joyous life for a grievous one. It's exchanging what will be a grievous life for you, although the trifles of this world might seem fun now. Although the the vanity of this world, you might run after it now and think that's what's going to provide you joy. No, no, no. Christ will provide the true joy. And here's a man who did not live an easy life, Paul. Here's a man who struggled. Here's a man who's just walked 12 miles just to be with God, saying God is worth it. None of these things move me that are happening to me. God is worth it. Neither count of my life dear that I may finish my course with joy and the ministry which I have received of the Lord Jesus to testify of the gospel of the grace of God. You as a Christian, you are a steward of something. You have been given one life. That's it. You have been given these short years, and by the way, you might not have tomorrow. You might not have next week. You need to get right with God. And realize, like Paul did, that he is just a steward of what a steward is just a person that manages assets. Okay, a steward. Your bank is a steward of your money. 
Uh, they have your money, and they are just deciding uh, what to do. Or if you give your money to someone with investments, they're stewarding and seeing what investments that money should be in. Uh, if your parent gives you something to look after, like a dog, you're stewarding the life of your dog, right? Uh, you are just, you are not the owner, you are the caretaker. You right now are not the owner of your life, by the way. You are the caretaker. God has given you this life, not as yours, but it's still His, by the way, for you were bought with a price. By the way, if you're bought with a price and that price was the blood of Jesus Christ, God's Son, give God what He paid for. Don't shortchange the Lord. Like what Wearsby says, he says, The steward owns little or nothing, but he possesses all things. His sole purpose is to serve his master and please him. Moreover, it is required in stewards that a man be found faithful. The steward must one day give an account of his ministry, and Paul was ready for that day. May I ask you, if you stood before the Lord right now, could you say like Paul, hey, I've run my race well. Hey, hey, I, I, I have finished strong in my life. I'm just an accountant. I'm just a steward. Lord, I've run my race well. I, I'm looking forward to the ministry you have for in the future. But Lord, if you take me right now, Lord, praise the Lord, I've lived a life that's pleasing to you. I've lived a life that's sold out for the gospel. You're supposed to be an accountant. You're supposed to be a runner towards God's will. And you're supposed to be a steward of what God has given you, namely your life. Let me ask you this today, teenagers. Is there anything in your life holding you back from a relationship with God? Is it sin? Is there, is there that, that sin that just has its hooks in you? Or is it laziness, which is a sin, by the way, to where you say, you know what, I want to live for God, but I'll do it later. I want to live for God, but that sounds hard right now. I want to live for God, but here's the, the list of things that come before God. And you would never say, hey, these things come before God in my life, but in reality they do, don't they? Or would you say, you know what, Pastor Scotty, myself is just getting in the way. Maybe it's not sin, maybe it's not laziness, but, but me. Something with me, I'm just getting in my own way. I'm getting in the Lord's way from the Lord using me. I don't know how, but guys, do everything that you can in your ability to give your life for God and say, God, what do you want for my life? Show me how to live my life and then live it, run your race well, and be a steward of what God has given you.